and uh, we're going to kind of be looking in that chapter, verse 35 through 52, and I want to preach to you this morning from Mark 6, 35 through 52, under this title, The Miracle Moment, Stopping the Failure of Faith, Stopping the Failure of Faith, and uh, this particular chapter of what we're going to be focusing on is one of the most notable miracles in Jesus' ministry. And we're going to go through, we'll read some scriptures as I preach and teach this morning, so you can go ahead and be seated. And, uh, but uh, this particular miracle is where Jesus fed 5,000 men plus women and children using five loaves and two fish. And uh, for everyone who likes to have detailed numbers, that's 5,000 plus men or plus women and children, uh, there's a good chance if we were just considering most American families are three to four people, there's a good chance that what the Lord fed was around 20,000 people that were there. Of course, families were a lot bigger then and that time. We consider uh, Jesus' own family. He had siblings. Um, but most of the crowds, most of, of Everything that was counted was usually counted by the head of household. So it would be the males, and they would count 5,000 men plus women and children. So uh, we often say when he fed the 5,000, but it was way more than that. It was a more significant miracle than that that Jesus had done. But we're going to look at this story, and it's important to understand they had spent all day in that spot. The Lord ministering and speaking to them. And so it's getting late in the day. They're all in a desert place. That's where they are. And they're simply just not a good place to grab a meal. And so uh, any provision that was going to be made, someone would have to bring it with them. Uh, So they probably set out that morning, everyone having a meal for their family. Uh, But this was late in the day, and so the meals had been ate. Any provisions that had been brought with them have been used up by this time. There are no more snacks for the kids. And so the disciples come to Jesus. They want Jesus to send the people away. They're saying, Lord, it's, it's late in the day. We're in a desert place. Why don't you send these people so they can get some food? And Jesus, he kind of comes back at them in a, in a different way. You would think Jesus would just say, yeah, okay. But what he says, he said, you give them something to eat. So think about that. They're like, what, what are we supposed to do, Jesus? I mean, we can't go and buy enough food for all of these people. Should we go spend, and they ask 200 denarii, should we spend 200 denarii and, and buy bread enough for all of these people? Uh, Jesus just said, you, you go them. They're saying, we don't, we don't have the money and we don't have the bread for doing that. Jesus asked them, what do you have? And so they had to go around. It's, it's implied in the story. It says when they found out, they said, we have five loaves and two fish. That's what we have. We've got five loaves and two fish. And I'm sure that this particular news was not delivered with enthusiasm and with hope. I'm certain that the disciples did not come to Jesus and say, you know, Jesus, man, 
It's amazing. We've got five loaves and we've got two fish and we just know you're about to do something with that. That's not probably how they said it. They probably said it with a little bit of a lack of hope, saying, well, you know, Jesus, we only found five loaves and two fishes. Two fishes would be two fish, I think. Five loaves and two fish. You should probably just go ahead and send everybody home. Jesus doesn't do that. He, he, he tells them, you arrange the people. Get them ready. Sit them down in rows. That's what it says. It says, puts them in ranks of 50 and 100. And we know Jesus is, we, we get the benefit of reading the story. Jesus is about to do a miracle just a mind-blowing miracle. And we can look and read this story and we understand Jesus can do everything with little or nothing. You know, we make the mistake sometimes, we say, if I only had. And I try to remind myself when I catch myself saying that, it's not if I only had, because what I do have, the Lord can work with. He can do something with that. Whatever I have already, whatever I don't have, the Lord can do with that. So Jesus had them arrange the people in groups of one of 150, and he takes and he blesses and breaks the five loaves, and he gives them to the disciples to sit before the people. And he takes and he divided the fish so that every person would have fish, and they ate, and they were filled. Now, here's the point. If you want just a small point you can take away from this, when you're with Jesus, you don't have to go away hungry. They had spent all day with Jesus, and if you're with Jesus, you don't have to go away hungry. And just like that, today, here, today, you do not have to go away hungry. Hungry, you can be filled. God can supply. He can answer your need. You don't have to go away hungry. And they took up what was left. Everyone's ate, they, they're filled. They took up what was left and there were 12 baskets of bread and fish. There were plenty enough for everyone. People could have had seconds, thirds. They could have kept going. There were 12 baskets full. Second point would be this. When you're with Jesus, you can take something home with you. There were 12 baskets full left. Even if people took a little piece, they had enough. There was definitely enough for a basket for each disciple. You can take something home with you. There are so many subtle messages in this one miracle moment with the Lord. I could tell you that God has given you everything that you need and He can work out everything else that you need out of that thing that He's already given you. But the reality is that's not true. The Lord does not give you everything you need. Let me tell you why. You say, well, that just seems like not a very encouraging message. But let me tell you why. It's because He wants you to need Him. 
The need you have in your life today, it's because he wants you in a position where what you need is you need more of him because he's the only one that can do something with what you already have. He's the only one that can do something with what you don't have. He wants you to need him. He's everything that you need and he can make up for your shortage. He can make up for your lack. You don't need a miracle. What you need is Jesus. That's what you need. Disciples had to be in awe of what Jesus had just done. And think about their participation. They had a part and they participated in feeding these people and in collecting what was left. And they saw the miracle unfold in their hands. He broke it. He blessed it. He gave it to them. And they made sure others got to take part. Now, my question for you this morning would be, do you think their faith in Jesus would have been high in this moment? I'm thinking for myself, I would like to think that I would just be like, all right, Jesus, let's go. What are we going to do now? What's going to happen next? Let's go do this. But you know what I find when I read Matthew or Mark 6, starting at verse 45, the events that follow kind of show that there's a lack of faith. Faith fails them in a sense. Immediately, verse 45, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he sent the multitude away. And we had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Verse 47, now when evening came, so notice this is the same day. It's that evening. It's not a different day. It's the same day. Not even a 24-hour period later. They didn't take a nap and wake up and all of a sudden things happened. It was that same day. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea and he was alone on the land. Verse 48, Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. Another portion of scripture talks about their struggle and their fear in the middle of that storm. And the word straining that's used there in verse 48 and other parts of the Bible where this particular Greek word is used, it's translated with the English word tortured. Now think about that. There are expert sailors in that boat. There were fishermen, professional fishermen. And if you're going to be a fisherman, you have to be a sailor. The Sea of Galilee is not particularly a large body of water. But with their expert knowledge, you would think that on a clear day, that, that would be just a really short trip, a short period of time to get onto the other side on any calm day. But not on this day, this particular day, the wind was contrary. But you think about sailors, they have experience with storms. But this particular storm had them in a position where they were rowing and they were rowing so hard against the wind that they were tortured in their rowing because of a contrary wind. It wasn't that they were simply working at rowing the boat. It was torturous labor 
to make progress. I went on a camping trip with a friend of mine. We met in, in, uh, in, in South Carolina at a lake, and we were staying. We had taken our fishing kayaks, and we rowed, took all of our equipment. We rowed out to an island. And the second day that we were there camping on this island, fishing off this island, a storm came in, and we had rowed onto the other side of the lake, not super far, but far enough to get a good workout in, which you don't mind in a kayak. But when that storm came in, the wind was coming right back in our face as we were trying to go into the, go back out to the island. And what had been like a 15-minute row across took me about an hour to get back. And I was getting so worn out, and I was just had my head down, and I was rowing. And what I noticed is whenever we would let up rowing, that wind would push us back almost to where we had started. And so I, I got back in the over on one side after I'd made my first attempt and got my energy back. I said, okay, this time when I start, I just cannot stop. I've got to keep going. And so I started working, and it was torture. I was sore that night from rowing that kayak across the water. So it wasn't that they were simply working at rowing. This was labor to them to make just a little bit of progress as if their life was at stake and they were fearful. They were afraid. But the whole time it says Jesus was watching them until the early hours of the morning, until the fourth watch of the night. This is early, early in the morning. What does that mean? That means you might be going through a tortured season. It might be torture trying to make progress. But don't be fooled into thinking Jesus does not see what you're struggling with. Jesus sees exactly where you're at. He sees what you're struggling against. He sees a contrary wind. He sees that you're being tortured. He sees that you're struggling. He knows exactly where you are. Mark chapter 6 verse 49 goes on and tells us a little more. He walks out to them. They see him walking on the sea. And they supposed it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Verse 51 goes on says, Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased. And they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marvel. Jesus walks into the torture and the uncertainty that is in the disciples' life in that moment. They're afraid. They're supposing this must be a ghost until he does one thing. What does he do? He speaks to them. He speaks to them. Jesus' voice calms them. And then Jesus' presence calms the sea. Jesus' voice calms them and Jesus' presence calms the sea. There are two things that you need in a storm. You need Jesus to speak calm into your life. 
The storm may be raging on the outside, but as long as you can get a glimpse of the master's voice and hear him speak into the middle of that storm, doesn't matter how afraid you are. If you can just hear his voice, there's calm that can come over you. It's the peace that passes all understanding. We often think that the peace that passes all understanding means the problem goes away. That's not what it means. Sometimes it just simply means he says, you know what? I've got control of this situation. You're not going to die right here. It's not time for it to be over. Just keep trusting me and keep staying in the boat and leaning unto not your own understanding, but lean unto me and trust me in this season. second thing you need in a storm is Jesus' presence. Because there's something about the presence of the Lord that in the middle of whatever storm there may be, he can bring calm. And think about that they were afraid. They saw him coming and they were afraid not only of the storm but of him. They thought this... This must be a ghost. They supposed it must be a ghost. What if you've been afraid and what you've been afraid of in the moment may turn out to be your salvation in the long term? What if the thing you've been afraid of turns out to be the solution to the storm in your life? It says they were greatly amazed Beyond measure, they marveled when he calmed the storm because of his presence. But look at what the next verse says. Mark, the gospel writer, he gives us a footnote as to why they were so impressed. Verse 52, it says, For they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. Isn't that amazing? The disciples could not take their experience from earlier in the day where the Lord had provided and supplied what 5,000 men plus women and children needed to eat a meal and could not take that experience and apply it to a new challenge that was presented to them in their life. They could see Jesus turn lunch into enough bread to feed a vast group of people but they could not imagine him bringing peace upon a storm. They lacked the ability to take the previous experience with God and knowledge of Jesus. Take that previous encounter and imagine it affecting and changing their current situation. They couldn't see it. For them, faith was a one-time thing. It was that one event. But now with a different event, what can God do? How can God get us through this? What's going to happen? You think about that for a moment. That's true for so many of us. Is it that we become so focused on the storm? So focused on the situation before us that we are not able to go back and link some previous encounter with God to the next thing. And say, you know, he took care of me then. 
Maybe, just maybe, He'll take care of me now. He answered back then, if I pray, He'll answer now. He provided then, maybe He'll provide now. He did a miracle then, He can do a miracle right now. Mark gave this reason. He said their heart was hardened. They had a testimony. My Lord fed 5,000. I saw it. But in that moment, they had no expectation for what the Lord would do next. You think about that should be what faith is for us. It should be thinking, what is the Lord going to do next? What is He going to do now? I remember the miracle He gave me then, and I celebrate that. Thank you, God. But what now? What is God up to right now in this moment, in this day? What is He doing? What do you expect Him to do with your situation? What are you expecting Him to do in your time, do you have any expectation? They had not understood about the loaves. But if they'd really understood about the loaves, that storm and what Jesus was doing in that moment when he stepped into the boat and the storm calmed itself, it would have just been expected. In the disciples' minds, the new situation, the storm, the torturous rowing, the straining against the wind was so different from the old situation. They could not move their knowledge of Jesus' ability to work and provide food into a current calamity and sustain them in the middle of a storm and quiet the storm. Consider the loaves. God has worked in your past. Now God wants to work in your present. You see, I I love what Jason was saying earlier in the song Monica sang, and it got me to thinking about faith. And I, I talk with people all the time about things of faith, and they say, well, that's not logical. Faith is seldom logical. But faith isn't illogical either. Because faith is theological. It's God. It's a God thing. Trusting God, leaning on Him is a God thing. It's getting God into the context of your situation, your location, and your time. I think about the Bible. I think about Israelites coming out of Egypt. And Israelites, they forgot how the Lord had delivered them repeatedly, ten times in the wilderness. Ten times Israel needed to remember and God had to remind them of what he had already done. It started in Exodus 14. They weren't even hardly outside of Egypt yet. They're at the Red Sea. And as the Egyptians pursued them, they begin to wish that they had never left Egypt. They said, we had graves there. We had a place to die. Now we're going to die here. God says, wait a minute, you stand back and watch. Exodus 15, one chapter later, they're at the bitter waters of Marah, and they say, we can't have anything to drink. There's no water here. Why would you bring us here to die and let us thirst? The Lord said, 
stand back and watch. They weren't able to move from miracle to miracle to miracle and see what God could do and apply it to every new situation that was coming into their life. Exodus 16, in the wilderness of sin, when they were hungry, they wished that they were back in Egypt, but God provided them manna. Exodus 16 again, they tried to store the manna. Why? Because they just couldn't trust that God would do it again. Didn't believe God could continue to provide. Exodus 17, there was no water, so they complained. Exodus 32, they were at Mount Sinai, and Aaron made a gold calf to worship them, uh, for them to worship. Numbers 11, at Tibera, when they were hungry, they wished again for Egypt. At Numbers 11, again, they were complaining about the manna which God was giving them, and God gives them quail. Numbers 14, they refused the report of Caleb and Joshua about the promised land, saying, no, we can't conquer the giants. No, we can't take the enemies even though God is with us and they wished that they were dead. It's interesting. Ten times Israel forgot God's ability, the equal number of miracles God used before they ever got out of Egypt to break the hold that the Egyptians had on them. What was the problem? Israel needed to consider the loaves. They needed to consider the miracle from the month before, the day before, the week before, the time before. Consider the loaves. Consider the loaves in your own life. Consider the miracles God is doing, has done, and will continue to do because it applies to every situation. It doesn't matter what you're facing. God can do what no man can do. He's the Lord of yesterday's miracle. But that Lord of yesterday's miracle, He moved with you into today's challenges. Time changed. God is not. Your circumstances changed. But God is not. The thing you're facing has changed. But God has not. Let the God who worked in your yesterday work in your today. Isaiah 59.1 says this, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened. Nothing's changed. His hand is just as long as it's ever been to save. Nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. You prayed to him and he answered before. You can pray to him and he'll answer again. Say, well, I... I don't know. I don't know about all that. I'm facing this kind of challenge. You just don't know what I'm facing. No, I I don't have to know what you're facing. I know the God of which I speak. I know the Lord of which I'm talking about. And the God that provided the fish and the loaves and the blessing the day before can work in your situation right now. You say, well, maybe... I'm not in the right place with the Lord. You know, I got to be perfect, be right with the Lord. You know what you do to get right with the Lord? You repent. And maybe it's time to repent for our doubt. Repent for doubting. You say, well, I'm not sure where I am with God, what I should do. My question to you would be so simple. Do you believe 
Do you believe that he is able? Do you believe that he would answer? Do you believe that he is who he says that he is? Say yes. I would say then repent. Repent of sins, repent of doubt, repent of anything that has become a barrier between you and God. You say, well, I haven't been baptized in Jesus' name yet. I would encourage you, get baptized in the name of Jesus Christ like every believer in the New Testament. God's promise is that he'll fill you with the Holy Spirit and you'll speak in a language that you do not know as the Spirit of God fills you and gives you the utterance. He's the Lord of your situation. Whatever you're facing, He is the Lord of that situation. If you'll let Him be the Lord, He will. He'll provide the fish, provide the bread. He'll provide the miracle. He'll calm the storm. He'll give you what you need. He'll make up for your differences. And He'll make up for your lack. If you'll just let him be the Lord. Right now, I feel like we are in a miracle season. You say, but it looks bad. Doesn't matter what it looks like. If you can open your spiritual ear and hear his voice, his voice is speaking into this storm. His voice is speaking in your life. And His presence will calm every situation. I wonder if you'll stand with me. God, you see every person that's here today. You see the storm in their life, Lord. They seem that they're being tortured by. They're overwhelmed. But God, somehow help them to see that the miracles of yesterday prove that you can do what needs to be done today. God, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to have that kind of faith not to try and reason everything out, but just simply to trust you and say, Lord, you have this in your hand. And I want you to be Lord in this situation. God, I pray right now that the spirit of your, that your spirit would come into this place and would minister in the name of Jesus Christ. Would you take a moment and let the spirit of God minister to you? Talk to him about your situation. Talk to him about right where you're at. Talk to him about the confusion that has come to you. Let his voice speak and bring that peace. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen, amen.